Welcome back to Oh No No No, the Wraith Rovers podcast. Uh, we are here to talk through a real destruction derby after Ian Murray's men thoroughly dismantled James McPake's boys on Friday night. Uh, once again, I am your host for this episode. I am Duncan Cameron. And on this occasion, I am joined by the Turnbull Hutton of podcasting. It's Robbie Weir. How are you, Robbie? That's fine. Uh, okay, I'll take that one. That's fine. Uh, Super Scott Fleming's here. How are you, Scott? I'm really good. Cheers. Excellent. Uh, Greer we go, Greer we go, Greer we go. It's John Greer. How are you, John? Hello there. Yeah, very good. And he's here, he's there, he's Hopcroft, comma, Blair. It's Blair Hopcroft. How are you, mate? I'm loving that, mate. That's brilliant. So, um, let's move on from that. Let's get into the game. Uh, so, in a, a Maverick 3-6-1 uh, formation, the Rovers turned in, I think, their performance of the season so far with a remarkable degree of control over that full kind of 90 minutes. So, in a break from our usual format, uh, what we're going to do, we're going to go through each player uh, one by one and really just give the uh, the credit where it's due. But before we do that, um, Scott, Scott, why don't you kick us off with your uh, your thoughts at what was about six o'clock on Friday night? We found out Liam Dick was missing, and uh, I think we all got set to go back to the tactics board trying to work out what the hell Ian Murray was going to do. Aye, well, that was exactly I think everybody's group chats uh, that were involving Rovers uh, fans were probably going mental. What was it? An hour, an hour and ten before kickoff that the team was. Released them, we're going, there's only two defenders on the list. <laughs> At first, I thought it might have been the best, like, because we have missed out a player before off team off that sort of social media. I thought, oh, maybe they forgot Liam Dick. And then, because there was, it was a one answer in the questions on Facebook the day before. And I thought, there's nothing wrong, Mum. And in fairness, <laughs> well, I want to stop you there. We only did that when I was doing the social media. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, nah, it was, it was, it was interesting, and then obviously our group chat is like, oh, well, he's clearly going to play like Connolly at left back, and because he's done it once or twice, like in game, he's, he's thrown him back if needed and whatever. And then we're like, and then as it got closer, everyone's like, oh no, Josh Mullins going to be playing right back because you guys were sending photos on like in a bib at warm up doing like uh, that back four sort of shape stuff. And then I, I was like, I think I would rather Connolly more than. Uh, uh, Mullen, but then again, Mullen's been doing all this running that nobody's noticed. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was it was confusing, and then it all came out. It was a three six one, and it was something that he learned under Walter Smith, apparently. So fair play, um, it worked. It was yeah, an excellent performance. But it certainly, uh, well, we'll get into each individual player. But I thought for somebody to be playing that formation. And also to bring in somebody on their debut in that formation as well, I thought was it, it took a lot of balls for me and money to do it, I think. But at the same time, I'd rather he did it last on Friday there than in the league. So no, overall it was it was <laughs> it, it worked. I feel like we yeah. should take a moment to just appreciate the fact we went into a derby and we pumped them with one central defender on the park. One central defender. They, they're a team that use team. wingers, and aye, just ridiculous. Like it's just aye. I think I mean, uh, there, was Ian Murray... there was. I was going to say there was literally one central defender on the entire pitch. Both teams, 
It was the only one. And he played zero minutes of football going into that, that game. Ian Murray had said, uh, first of all, I think he'd, he'd called it out to Craig Cairns. Like, <laughs> by the way, I'm going to do this at some point. Watch out for it. Um, <laughs> and he, he'd done it twice at Airdrie. And it had, it had gone horribly wrong one of those two times. It's like, well, you know, let's roll the dice. Best out of three, see how this goes. Um, John, you you sometimes, you get a bit of an inside track on uh, kind of who's available and who's not. Did you have any any inkling that we were going to see this piece of uh, unorthodox tactical innovation from Ian Murray? Well, on, on, um, on Monday, Alan Halliday said, oh, we're going to all attack. And I thought, Okay, and I had no inkling at all that that um, Liam Dick was injured or anything. And when when Ian Lattle sent the message saying he's in a moon boot, I just thought it was his week to wear it, you know, because we must get these moon boots, and uh, they they must be on on the proviso that you've got to use it. It's like bringing a player in for Rangers or something; he's got to be used. So this moon boots arrived at the club and I think they flick up a coin and see who's wearing it. But outside, um, when I arrived at the ground, I was asked to go and get a programme. So you have to go to the, the club shop, which was great fun pushing in to the club shop, shouting, mind the gap, as I'm prone to do. Um, and uh, I, I was coming back and I met Andy Barrowman and he said, have you seen the the lineup, and I said, "No, I haven't." He said, "Have you seen the formation?" And I went, "Obviously, no, I haven't." <laughs> so, so um, he said, "Oh, we're going out. We're going for it. We're going for it. It'll be great. It'll be great." So I came round the back of the stand, and then I met Robbie. Verbally abused them, physically abused them, and just said, "We're going to pump them." Yeah, just stop there. I just want to say. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to pump them. We're going to. I. I. I just had a feeling that when I, I did look at my phone, and I saw, oh my God, we're going to. We're going to play the ball off the park. Well, not literally off the park, but we're going to play them off the park. We're just passing it and movement. And I thought, if we get this right, we really are going to pump them. And I kept thinking that you know, Blair, you've just said they they didn't have any central defenders really at all, and I. I just thought. Chris Hamilton, Jack Hamilton, yeah. well, he's going he's gonna to own them. And that's the way it went. It was brilliant. Not to not to blow our own trumpet, but we did say that in the last podcast, didn't we? Like, that was a, a bit of a, a consensus point. There's been a few consensus points that we'll come on to when we're going through each player. Uh, for, aye. Yeah, I think we said that. We said that <clears throat> it would be a case of kind of both attacks trying to get right on top of both central defences. And... Uh, in the end, it was only really one team really, really bothered to try that. Um, which, uh, again, I think we will we will keep on coming back to as we go through this. But um, let's uh, let's move into this because as you we've got um, a lot of players to get through because there's a lot of props to be given out for this. But let's um, start at the back and start with Kevin Dubrovsky and Blair. We'll come to you. Um, for your thoughts on the performance from the uh, the big man at the back, he was brilliant. I mean, he was he was quiet. I think it's fair to say, like he didn't have an awful lot to do um, in the game. Um, he made one one save in the first half, and I have to say, it was typical. It's the thing that 
has always made me feel a little bit uncomfortable about this new area of goalkeepers. He made it look like a good save because he had acres of time. Um, I can't mind who it was that broke through. It's Moffat. Um, Moffat, yeah, it was. And it seemed it seemed to kind of go down in two or three stages and push it away to his, to his left-hand side, but I thought that was more boredom than anything else. Um, second half, again, not an awful lot to do until that that moment. And what a moment it was. It was it was it was brilliant. And you could see, I mean, the celebrations afterwards from him. And I, I loved I actually um I got up really early on on uh, Saturday morning and watched it again on the iPlayer. Um and the the um Michael Stewart giving it the I don't know what the big goalie's doing jumping into him. And I'm thinking, well, there was a penalty shootout at the beginning of the season. And do you know what I mean there's obviously been a bit of to and fro from them and stuff. But I'll, I'll, I'm there for all of that. I love that stuff. But no, Kev was, he was brilliant. And he looked glorious walking out the smoke as well. Beautiful. Absolutely. I thought it was good that he, um, that he, uh, he kind of did his inner Martin Keown when he jumped at the boy, you know. I, yeah. I have to say, I would have yellow carded him for it. I thought Willie... You know, it was a Willie Collins show at that moment, so I thought I was surprised he didn't yellow card him. I would have cuddled him for it. <laughs> I think I think you're right, John. I think <laughs> that's maybe my blue tinted spectacles. But um, yeah, I am totally here for that as well. I would I would take a booking for that every day of the week. That's just um, again, it's a big game. People, you're supposed to care about it, and and um, I think it was Ian who made this point after the game, and I think it's really um, spot on. Their whole team just does not react to that at all. Okay. Like yeah. that, it's such a that it's just, and I don't think it's even just to contrast that to the Rovers side. I think you take most sides in the division. If the keeper was bamming up their star man like that, you would have a rammy and you'd get a couple of red cards. And at least it would show that you care and that you're invested and that you're you're bothered about it. Whereas there was just so little of that um, at all, which I think was kind of typified a lot of it. But um, yeah, I mean, in terms of Kevin Dabrowski, I thought even setting aside the penalty, as you say, he had that one kind of save to make where he gets down to it, he pushes it away, which, if nothing else, he's very, very good at getting. At least he gets that clear. And he had to come and punch a couple, and he had to come and claim a couple. But his decision-making seems to have really improved. Um, he's making the right choices now when it comes to that, which ones he punches, which ones he catches. And um, if you go back three months, even, and think about what how we would have felt about um, Kevin Dubrovsky with a back three of a guy making his debut, a centre half and a right back. Um, sorry, a central midfielder and a right back. I think you would be expecting to be panic all over the place. And instead, it just wasn't. Just really calm. And uh, yeah, just a, a really, really solid performance. Um, and kind of moving on one then, let's go into the man who was making his debut, um, Dan O'Reilly. Um, Robbie, let's come to you first though, because I thought it was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, he was brilliant. He came in. Um, I was speaking with uh, people in the loop who were sort of saying that he's just naturally a very, very fit player. Um, in the sense that he runs a PT business as well, so that's kept him ticking over seemingly. And yeah, just 
came in and he's just already hit the ground running, but just completely marshalled everything. Um, he was unlucky as well with the cross that went to, to Mullen that came off the bar, so he could have been having an assist on his debut um, on top of that clean sheet. Um, but like I mentioned on um podcast that we did uh, last week, you've got him coming in, and now with core pretty much coming back to full fitness, you and Murray comes back from suspension. We have three centre backs. That's unheard of. Like we've spent so long <laughs> just in this mire waiting to get players available. Um, to have him as an option, even if it's just in the short term. But if we do have the opportunity, based on that, to extend this deal, I'd be delighted if we did, because he looked really reassured, just marshalled everything through that back line, um, wasn't afraid to get on the ball and go forward with it as well. So, yeah, I think sometimes when you move to a new formation and you're playing free at the back, it can be quite difficult when you've got that extra man. But because both him and Milne were sort of coming in as into a new position effectively one from external one from internal sometimes it could be a bit of an awkward fit whereas this just felt sort of very natural and I think you've got to give plaudits to Dubrovsky as well just to jump back to him for a second as well because he took a lot of responsibility on to make sure that there wasn't any sort of like of those three there wasn't any issues in the sense of if there was a high ball there to be claimed he didn't wait for oh I'll see who headers it or they're each looking at each other. Firstly, they were getting on the headers in the first place, but if it was near Kev, he was going for it and he was winning it. So, yeah, brilliant. All of them deserve praise, but again, we'll go through them each individually. Just on your, your point there about Dan O'Reilly with the assist, first of all, I think um, I think he should get the assist for uh, for Stanton's. I think he gets a touch on that and gets that oh, back yeah. across. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, that point where he, it's Mullen and it's deflected over, he does so, so well. I mean, for given he's a centre half, he's he's um, hitting the byline there in in kind of open play. Really, really good to see, um, and I, I was really, really impressed with him. The if you were just looking at it in in kind of black and white and the the kind of the way the game went, he would have a mark against him for conceding the penalty. Um, Scott, was that a penalty for you? No, that was oh, it was well, obviously at the time it's three 0 we were just, yeah, it was just a matter of time waiting for the full-time whistle to go. But even you could even see the Dunfermline players were like, all right, <laughs> they, nobody appealed for it. Or not that I could see from the from the, the TV, but it was... And and uh, I was sat in, the, in my apartment with a few of my mates and all of us were just dumbfounded at what he's seen. And then when it showed the replay, we were just like, is he, like what Dan O'Reilly does is what happens for 85 minutes of a Scottish football game. And so you're given a foul then 85 times, if that's roughly, if that's what's going to happen. But it's just the fact that Willie Collum, John touched on it earlier, Willie, it was Willie Collum's second half that just made that everybody that did a foul was just basically getting booked for it. It just, it seemed to be, I mean, Callum Smith's booking was just pathetic. And then as soon as that was up again, Otto uh, goes in before the third goal for the free kick for the third uh, goal. Before we got the, the non-free kick, their fans are claiming about Otto absolutely halves our boy and gets away with it. Like, aye, what was that about? Like, uh, I mean, Otto's booking was correct because if he was even a slight bit later, that would have been talking about a red card. I think he was lucky it was only just a touch late because he he went in flying on the 
was it Easton that he connected? I think it was Easton yeah. that he connected with for his booking, but uh, Callum Smith's one was just ridiculous. I I don't I don't even think he touched. I think it was McCann that fell to the floor, and uh, McCann was even claiming Anki slips. No, and Smith is just looking round at him and just going, "Why are you getting booked?" It was Anki Hosler. Yeah, he was off balance. And Willie Collins, it's like he referees. He referees by numbers. He referees by events, like in his own head, rather than refereeing what's in front of him. He just kind of decides. Like that's a perfect example. <clears throat> like he decided before the game kicked off. No bookings in this first half. Yeah. This first half, not going to be any bookings. And yeah. as soon as he comes out second half, he's like, "What well, second half is bookings time?" Because that one was Smith, as you say, it probably is a foul. I think it probably is a foul. But um, Richie Hosler's off balance, so it doesn't take a huge touch. But to book Smith for that. It is ridiculous, but, and there was others that are very, very similar. And then the penalty is the same. It's like no other referee is going to give that penalty, yeah. but Willie Collins kind of setting himself apart. So he's like, "Whoa, the technical there's an infringement in there." And you're like, "Dick, what passion? There's no." Duncan, <laughs> Duncan. The other thing is um, during the game, I think uh, Muffet got away with about five fouls. Paul Allen got away with five fouls. And the one that he did on uh, Dylan Easton was quite naughty because he catches him on the on the heel and uh, it's a bad one. But the other thing is for referees nowadays, you've got Willie Collum, right? That situation with the, the penalty was given. In that game there, the penalty's given and it's his decision. In a Premier League game, he would then give that decision and a wee boy on the VAR would sit and go, eh, Willie, I think you should look at that again. Now, it must be very difficult for referees, and I'm not making excuses for Willie Collum, because I said it was a Willie Collum show at that point, and I agree with you, no bookings in the first half, no book, and then second half, oh, we're getting bookings now. But it must be difficult for linesmen and referees to make these decisions now in these games, because... One week they're in the Premier League with VR, and then they're back to us, and there's Navy. So I'm not having it, John. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not. I'm no, not making, we're not making excuses for Wally Collum. He's an absolute numpty. Oh, oh, I knew as soon as he as he was appointed to the game, I said there's going to be a period where it's all going to be about him, and that and that's the way it transpired. I think he um I think he he's in his head thinking that maybe was a handball the one before it. I think it kicked yeah. up in Callum Smith. Uh, so you might I think there's a wee bit of leveling up maybe for, for Colum. But to go back to O'Reilly, um he was he was just he was everywhere um for a debut performance. And I, I'm gonna temper it slightly and I don't want to because it's a, a podcast where we should be absolutely reveling in it. But I remember going to see the Rovers playing away at Livingston in a League Cup. Um, group stage about three or four years ago um, and the Rovers brought on a certain Blaze Riley Snow who was imperious that day he was bodying defenders off the ball he was battering people left, right and centre he looked incredible with the ball and we all know how that worked out and I don't think for a second that's going to be the case um, for Dan O'Reilly but he was he was brilliant, I mean he was physical reminded me a lot of you and Murray actually a very similar type of defender, which is exactly what I want to see. Just to um, emphasise your point, Blair, I'm just going to mention one name, Ishma Goncalves. Yeah. Uh, none of this negativity, please. No, uh, but it's... 
I think, I think everything's going to be brilliant forever. He is. And actually, do you know the, the bit of clever, when you think about the context of this, that boy's got a contract till January. And so he's got until January to prove that he's going to get a contract to the summer. Because, I mean, unless he's planning to maybe move back to Ireland, I don't know. But he's got to be thinking to himself, like, do you know what I mean? I can play myself into a, a contract for the rest of the season here, potentially play myself into a team that could, I mean, we, we all know there's a potential of us going up. So he's got the potential to be part of something. So he's got a lot to a lot to play for, which is a great situation for Ian Murray, a great situation for, for Dan as well. Um, I think it takes a bit of pressure off of Dylan Corr because coming back from injury, coming into a team that's doing well, we've talked already about no reserve football. He can't play his way back in. So it takes a little bit of pressure off him and off of Adam Masson to come back in too quickly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a great 90 minutes from him. Definitely. And let's I tell you, let's let's look to his uh, his kind of defensive partners. I'm going to couple them together just for the discussion, but obviously they're, they're both due a lot of credit. Uh, so both Ross Millen and Scott Brown kind of completing that um, that back three that very much was a back three. Um, again, just just really really strong performances. Um, Robbie, why don't you come in on uh, those two? Yeah, so we'll start with Scott Brown. Um, it's at the point now where I mentioned after the game that you you forget that he's a centre mid. He's mm. just um he's at the point now where like we've got rid of the discussion where it's oh we've got a S- Scott Brown how's he going to do defensively like what's he doing because he looks it's like a football matching uh, manager how you get like the the sort of the descending from orange into green in terms of their adeptness at a position. That's Scott Brown gradually becoming more and more green at that position now. Um, yeah, he was fantastic. Um, he did really well in the first half. I think it was Owen Moffat broke through sort of right at the start of the game and he managed to just track him down and get the ball out for a corner. But overall, in general, did not put a foot wrong, just completely dominated in that performance and the same goes for Ross Milne as well taking him from being a right back into chucking him into a back three where he was sort of the player that came out a bit more and um, yeah the two of them were just absolutely sensational Um, just really really strong performances and you would not think that's the first time that they've played together as a back three Um, they just did um, a stellar job at the back absolutely I think um, I think Ross Mellon in particular to me just positionally was spot on the whole day um, that I think again to be fair you'd you'd get tougher assignments with different attacks I think yeah. um, I mean the boy Jakubiak just never got needed well, we said in the last game that like it looked like he was giving Scott Brown a really tough time until after about 40 minutes you realised he hadn't actually come away with a ball at any point yeah, Scott Brown was was like he was having to work, but he was coming out on top every time. It was that for ninety on Friday? That for yeah. ninety on Friday? You, I could not tell you one thing, Alex. Just could be offered to their attack in that no, game. It was I, pathetic. I like, didn't think he even did the like the the body work that he was doing. Yeah, in the last game, he just wasn't getting tight to anybody. There was a point, I think, three separate kind of possessions in a row in the first half, where he just passed the ball right at the pitch. And it's like that must be so infuriating. They were all over the place. Mm. They they were really like they were toiling. Can they, they, changed, they, they changed the shape. It is they they changed the shape after about I don't know twenty minutes or something, and um, to get Otto into the midfield. But I, I think 
the thing with Jacoby, I think you're absolutely right, Duncan. He, he never did any of the stuff, but I think that's because the play was 20 yards further up the park than what it was in the last game. Um, there were, I mean, Scott's favourite thing to talk about in this podcast is triangles, right? But the tri- but it's true, that, but the triangles were Scott Brown, um, Ross Millen, and then one of the midfielders dropping in, like Sam yeah. Panton coming in. They were playing triangles on the edge of our own box. It was... And it was it was easy street at times. They were First just, goal's a perfect example of that, by the way. Totally. Just so, so comfortable with the ball. And I think, so Ian Murray, obviously, I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and say, my man of the match, I'm going to blow the water right now because it's Ian Murray. Like, the players all did their job, but we've not had a manager for a, as long as I can remember that has gone to East End Park and dictated the game. We go there and we, we set up to cancel them out and to kind of play their way and all the rest of it. and McGlynn was the worst for it to be fair and he would always do a good job at home and you know you could dictate the game and all the rest of it at home but he could never do it away from home but Ian Murray's gone into that game and played this 3-6-1 thing and completely dictated the play with a group of players who from all intents and purposes when you listen to the interviews learned they were playing it the day before yeah they I mean, had an hour's practice like it's, it's, it's mad totally totally out-tacticked James totally. McPake in that game, which I don't, you don't see an awful lot, really, because the managers in this at this level, they're not doing a lot of changing around. They tend to play the way they play, and that's been the case in the Derby so far. Um, uh, but you said it there, James McPake changed this formation about 20 minutes in, after the first goal went in, and threw the game away, as far as I'm concerned. But he still didn't know what to do. The change he made, to be fair to him, and, and I, I don't do this lightly because I think he's an absolute trollop, but the, the the change that he made was the obvious one. He had to get O2 into the midfield. Yeah. But going four at the back nullified his, his wing-backs effectively. He lost all the width and that's, just completely conceded to us. That's exactly it. So for me, in the opening period, the Rovers had the run of the middle of the park completely. They were all over them, outnumbering them two to one in the middle of the park, and that's where all these triangles are coming in. But Dunfermline had spaced in the wings. And that's where you're asking Aidan Connolly and Callum Smith yeah. to really do an, an awful lot of work covering the, the wing backs. And as soon as he goes to the back four, those two guys get the afternoon off in a defensive sense. Because they're just they're obviously they're still working. Uh, Smith had to do more once Richie Hosler came on later on. But it was a case, to me, it looked like it was shaping up to be a real kind of back-and-forth game where the Rovers have got all the middle, Pars have got all the width, could end up, you know, anything. And as soon as McPake moves um, his wing-backs inside and goes to the back four, he gave up. He gave up any chance they had to get him back into it, and that was when the Rovers really just stepped up. It was like, all right, brilliant, you're not even going to bother trying to push us back? And that's what I'm saying. It was a proper back three. Like, it really was... A 3-6-1. The Rovers played three defenders, they played six midfielders, a couple of which sort of had an eye on covering back and just absolutely ran the show from uh, from then on. And let's um, let, let's move into those two guys as well. Um, Aidan Connolly on the right-hand side and Callum Smith on the left. I mean, when you see that in the beginning of the game, you think Callum Smith's playing, effectively playing left-back. This could be an a absolutely stroll. He picked up that booking, incredibly soft, um, and then after, I mean, Kane, Richie, Hosler, they've been talking about him like he's the messiah for the time he's been injured. And he could not get a sniff off of Callum Smith in that second half. Um, John, give us your thoughts on uh, on those two, please. The uh, the the wing-backs 
slash wingers that we were uh, getting so much joy on Friday night. Oh, well, can I just say something on Ross Millen before we move on to that? Ross Millen, again, was I thought was outstanding. But the other thing that he did so well was he was the one that was going around and gene folk up, giving them confidence, giving them praise when it was needed and that. And I thought he was outstanding. But the, the two wing-backs, as you said, were you know out of position, uh, but tremendous. The amount of work they did and and the, the way they got forward when they could, but they just fitted into the 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 triangles that, that Scott talks lovely about all the time. And uh oh, it was just it was just amazing to see. Aidan Connolly's just so good, man. Yes. So good. And I know yeah. we've we've been going on this season a bit like Easton's the best player in the division and Sam Stanton's the best player in the division. It was Ian said it on an episode where he was like, Bear in mind Aidan Connolly was our best player last season. Yeah. And he's 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 starting to show it again. I mean, obviously we scored his his, uh, his towering headers at Morton and everything already, but um, he, I mean, he borders on untouchable at times out on that side of the try. So good, and the the um the build up to the first goal where he kind of plays that little back heel through his like that's so good. Um, uh, and get, anything, uh, who else? I come. Someone else can talk about him. I was just going to say, like, it probably speaks volumes that when. Ethan Ross went out on loan initially. Everyone's like, what the fuck are we doing that for? Like, why are we sending Ethan Ross out on loan? And then an explanation comes out. He needs the full game time, which we can't offer. Um, and Falkirk are really the best place to, to sort of take that on. And I'm sure there's other factors that we don't know about that get discussed behind the scenes. It then gets confirmed yesterday morning. Ethan Ross is staying on loan with Falkirk for the rest of the season, which again makes complete sense because he can only ever play this season for either us or Falkirk unless he drops out the league system, which let's be honest, if he did, it would be the most insane decision that you're probably going to see. Um, that news comes through yesterday. Nobody bats a single eyelid. And the reason is because we've got Aidan Connolly back along with Stan M. We've got Easton, we've got Vaughan, we've got Callum Smith, who's just looking exceptional as well. Um, just a, a absolutely tremendous player and I don't think that anyone when he initially signed back would have expected him to have had the impact and turned into the player that he's been and again he's another one There's sort of, across the squad you've got these players that maybe historically they've really struggled to get to that full fitness but with Aidan Connolly you see that now and you can see why he was at this level before um, and just outstanding player, an absolutely outstanding player, and he could get into any team in this division as far as I'm concerned. Yep, I agree we, we, entirely. I was going to say, we go back and forth with this best player in the Championship, like you said, Duncan. Um, I just think Aidan Connolly, for me, as a football fan, is everything I want to see in a player in my team. He works harder than anybody else on the pitch. He's talented, he's skillful. He's kind of jinky. He comes back and does the dirty work. He's quite happy to get booked when there's a penalty that shouldn't be a penalty and getting up in the referee's face. Like he doesn't, but he doesn't shy away from any part of the game. Like I just, like you say, he's just brilliant. I love him. He's so, so what I want to see in a Wraith jersey. He comes and across. Connolly really get into somebody's face. Right, <laughs> yeah. Well, we got him. He's no Calm part. down, Pythagoras. Settle down, you. Right. Um, 
Aye, with Connolly though, he's just got this wee bit of like gallusness about him though. That like he's not cocky or arrogant, but he's just got this wee streak about him that you know that like he just can do things on a football pitch that will make you like stand up and applaud. He's just—I know it's a bit of a cliche to say that, but aye, just brilliant. Just for the record, they could get into my face. It's about the same. <laughs> um, right, next up on my list then, uh, Josh Mullen, another one who I think just. So we've, we've, we've talked about him a lot in the last couple of weeks because we've started to see his running stats and he's just yeah. everywhere at all times. And I think that's a really interesting one on Friday night. Because Josh Mullen, you know, nominally, if you were, you were giving him a, a, a football manager designation, would be a winger. And I think in that six-man midfield, it's just really a case of, right, Josh, do your running, be available. You're an outball, be a pass. And he was, it just did that immaculately. For the for the, the entire game, I think it was so so good, um, and I'm I'm gonna contrast Josh Mullen to Joe Chalmers in that Dunfermline mid- midfield, where you're like, right, there's a guy who's in the middle of the park to be available to be an outball to be a pass. I mean, is it a, a bigger gulf between any two players in the park? Like, just in terms of what they're supposed to do and how they actually execute it, he's rotten. He's he's yeah. genuinely rotten. Like as a as a footballer, Please just I, clarify sorry, about who you're. <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah, not Josh. Um, he, he, Chalmers just sits in that midfield, and he's one of those players. And we've had them in the past as well, who, with the best will in the world, looks good when there's no pressure on him at all. Yeah. You stand off him, and you give him space, and you give him time. He can take the ball into feet. He can turn nicely, and he can find a pass. Right, but at this level, quite honestly, that's no good enough. Um, and yeah, I think like the, the the last two derby games have completely epitomised him for me. Um, he's a, an absolute passenger. I did say that like in the in the stand, like I, I do wonder if just like the soundtrack and head his head is just a loop of Iggy Pops, the passenger, just going round and round and round because he's just see that first goal. As soon as I look back at the replay and watched it, because with it being on BBC Scotland, you can go on the Twitter and just watch it there. He stands off in the box and you're thinking, this guy's fucking great to play against. I wish we could play against this guy every week. He's fucking horrendous. Like I was a wee, I'm a wee bit jealous of him, actually, because he gets a front row seat to watch Dylan Easton do anything. Like because he's not doing much else. <laughs> fucking rotten. He's absolutely stinking. I was thinking that when we were talking about Josh Mullen, it's like um and his his running stats and stuff, and he's like the road runner. And that's watching Aye. those two midfields as it's like a Looney Tunes cartoon where Joe Chalmers is standing there like Wiley Coyote and Josh <laughs> Mullen just appears on three different sides of him. Like he's just, just zipping by him and he just had no idea what's happening. Again, you've got to give so much credit, much like Ross Milne. You've got to give Josh so much credit just for being there and to be able to go into that position. And just these players that are just happened with three or four players in our squad this season where basically needs must and you go into a different position on the pitch and yet they still just absolutely boss it and they're willing to do it for the team it's none of this like oh I'm uncertain or they don't look like they're uncomfortable there they look like they've been part of the squad and that they've just been even if they've only trained it for an hour they're like still fine with it yeah. um, so it's a manager's right dream delivery so I think like honestly the way they've set up there I really think you could swap Callum Smith and Josh Mullen. Mm-hmm. He said, actually, Ken, someone, Josh, I want you to kind of run that that kind of left wing back. Callum, you can be the boy available in the middle. I don't think that game changes. 
Yeah. I think they would both do equally as well because, as you say, they're they're so good at just being at that level and doing the job that's required of them. And I think Josh, Josh Mullen, I've mentioned before on the show that I, I kind of felt, and I, I suppose I was probably part of that as well in terms of being a wee bit critical of him in the sense that he wasn't Aidan Connolly when Aidan Connolly was out injured. Yeah. Um, and you're so used to seeing the same thing from your right-handed sided midfielder kind of thing. And it's no Josh Mullen's game. But for me, the turning point for him this season was that Morton away game where he he, he he was brilliant that night, not just delivering into the box and stuff, but he, it's like he kind of twigged at the fact that, yeah, he's not, he's probably not necessarily the most speedy of wingers with the ball at his feet, but he's got really good control. And actually running with the ball at his feet, I think it's, it's, it's something Dylan Easton's very good at. Sometimes you just take the sting out of the game a little bit, not by lumping up the park, but by just running with the ball. Just, just killing a bit of time, taking it to the corner, giving your defence a chance to reset. And he did that two or three times on, on Friday night. Um, and yeah, I, I thought again, it was a great performance from him. And that delivery for the, the second goal, you know, the, the ball in that Dan O'Reilly gets across. Like, we are so lucky to have a player that can do that so regularly. And just on a final point for Josh Mullen, um, a really nice touch by him at the end of the game to give his kit to a wee last at the front row like just really like you've seen it on twitter the rovers account responded to it she's away back in the car absolutely knackered falling asleep but she's clutching on to josh mullins jumper so aye just brilliant so just on that really. just on that it was quite funny i was sitting beside gordon gordon adamson and he went oh no simon will be going mad that's another <laughs> i'll be racking up the fines um uh, Josh, give us a shout. We'll cover that for you, Paul. Um, so, are we? <laughs> I was going to say, I remember that before, though. Do you remember there was a game years ago? I think it was a Premiership game, and it was right towards the end, 93rd minute winner or something, and the boy chucks his shirt in the crowd. And then he's like, shit, we didn't have another shirt, and he has to <laughs> get the shirt back out again to get it back on. Um, there's something you said just a minute ago, Blair, about Dylan Easton kind of running at people. And again, I remember talking about this at the last derby, because he came on. And we'd really struggled to kind of get any kind of space and break down. And our old pal, Joe Chalmers, stood off Dylan yeah. Easton. And Shock. we were talking about, like, you can't give him that five yards because as soon as he runs at you, you're done. You might not know it yet, but you're done. And the first goal is just exactly that. Yeah. And because we've got all those guys in the midfield, Dylan Easton's starting from a deeper position than he would normally. And he gets the kind of token... <laughs> tracked run from I think it is Owen Moffat again but again that's not his he shouldn't he he's not going into that game expecting to have to pick up Dylan Easton at the halfway line to try and prevent a goal but that's what that six man midfield requires of you and Easty's just his tail's up and he, he ghosts him through that defence it's so so good I mean the fact that that was the only time that that led to a goal last night was astounding as much as anything Um, Scott come in on that please tell us a bit more about that that first goal and, and Dylan Easton's contribution uh, as you say I think you would have thought by now especially because he's already had a year in the championship was and he showed it in flashes last season but he was nowhere near the levels of what he's been going to this season and again this season until Friday night air was his best game I thought this season when he got the two goals but not only the two goals, he just he was creating everything that day as well. But the the first goal, especially, it just as you say, it epitomizes his style of play where he goes 
well, if you're just going to keep backing off, I'm just going to keep going at you and going at you and going at you. And then he just did it. And then he does that whole thing where he kind of makes his feet look like they're going really fast, but he's literally almost stood on the spot. And then he just then kind of gives somebody a little sort of, I don't know, it's almost like a fake that he's going to go one way, drops the shoulder, then he just goes round them. But I still never think that Dylan Easton's one of our quickest players, but yet he always seems to just nip past everybody, like as if they're not even there. But uh, aye, and then when he gets round his defender and then still has time to just look up and then go, oh, Jack Hamilton's not even getting marked here, and just slides it into the uh, six-yard box and he's there to tap in. It was almost... um, like our well, kind of like our first goal against Morton early on in the season with Jack Hamilton, which was his first goal for the club. Which was, but I think it might have been Vaughn that time that had kind of got the pass and then cut it across. But Jack Hamilton again, just in the right place at the right time, just to tap it in. But from the TV angle, it almost looked like he had missed because it almost took them a time to celebrate the goal. It, <laughs> uh, no, it was a, a brilliantly worked goal, and Dylan Easton. That was definitely his best game in an overshirt, in my opinion. I, I just, I think I said in the group chat, he was he was absolutely sensational on Friday. Like the guys that I was watching the game were only Rovers fans, but they kept, all they kept saying is that number twenty three is unbelievable. That's I know exactly what you mean about that run. He's almost like he's he's making himself into an optical illusion. Where it, it looks like a mazy run, but the ball is actually going in a perfectly straight line. He's just shaping his body around it so much that they, they kind of get near him. Um, he does give, that us lovely, your, uh, give us your thoughts on Dylan. Okay, he does that lovely thing where he's kind of running with the ball and he stops and any other player would make a pass. So he looks like he's going to make a pass and the defender thinks, oh, it's over. And then he goes again and the defender's going, oh, shit, I need to go again. Right. And he just keeps tracking him. That goal for me started in my head, watching it from the from the stand behind the goals with the Connolly flick. So the ball comes to Connolly under a little bit of pressure, I think it's fair to say, from, I think it was from Stanton, the ball came in. So the ball comes to him and he plays the little flick through his legs and turns and goes. And I'm literally sitting next to my mate and I'm going, oh, stop it, stop it. We are, <laughs> we are all over them here. This is incredible. And then Dylan gets the ball and I'm literally going, go on, please score, please score so that that flick is part of that goal. And then obviously he scores the goal and I'm going mental. I'm going, oh my God, it started with a flick. And then you watch it and there was about 13 passes before the flick. Right. It started way before that. Um, it had echoes of, remember the Spencer and Regan um, Henry goal um, in the, the 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 5-1 game where the two of them just pirouetted up the park playing one-twos with each other the whole way. Except there was like eight or nine Rovers players involved in it and we just... It was it was like men against boys at that point. Um, yeah, I think it was, was um, ev- everyone except Kevin Dabrowski and Dan O'Reilly in the build up yeah. to that goal. And again, as you say, it's it's Scottish triangles, you know, the the whole way. And then Dylan Easton just takes it forty yards uh, by himself. And is that uh, what the celebration is? By the way, is that is it? Is I it triangles? We can try and uh, make it that if we want. But... I wondered if it's a, is it a H for Hamilton. I wasn't sure. I thought it was a W for like. Winner or something like that. I know. Is it? Maybe it's just a fan of triangles. I I thought it was H for Hamilton as well. But it was Jamie Gullen was doing it. Um, and I on uh, last Friday, and I so I wasn't sure if it was um if he just also um loved Jack Hamilton and just stick the middle finger up at me. I'd still be (laughs) delighted if they're doing that against Paris. Just whatever makes Um, you happy. 
John, why don't you... Well, first of all, anything you want to add on Dylan Easton and then also take us into, uh, into Jack Hamilton's performance uh, and that first goal, please. No, the, Dylan Easton, I think everybody said what what's needed to be said about him. I think I think Ian Murray in his interview uh, summed up pretty well as well the fact that, you know, he said to him he, he's got to start going with his left foot as well and attacking people like that. Jack Hamilton, I think, as a Rover supporter, I think we're all now starting to see what we thought we were getting with Jack Hamilton. There was a, a move earlier in the game where the ball was played forward and Jack Hamilton just linked it and pushed it out and it ran on to Connolly and we got the, round the back of them. And for me, that was everything we want from a a striker, you know, he's the man that said he is near a target, a target man. And I think moves like that proved it. But the way that he finished that goal as well was just brilliant. Being there at the right time, you know. Um, and again, his link-up play was brilliant through it. His reflex that he, he won. I think he won everything in the air. There was one where he goes up and he chests it down and I think he just bossed them at the back. It was it was brilliant to see. He got a a booking for a, a tackle. Well, it probably was a booking, but um I just think he's the player that we wanted him and I just hope he gets a, a good run of free or injury and and we see him for the next you know few months doing what he's been doing. Yeah, Do you not think now we're at a stage where saying that he's not a target man is a bit like saying Scott Brown isn't a centre half? Like yeah. it might be, it might not be so, what he's best at. But I'm, I'm going to wade in here because uh, yeah, I, I'd sort of said before that we used him as a target man, but that wasn't his game. Um, and uh, for posterity, I feel like I should come in on that point. He absolutely just battered them, bullied them, and looked a constant threat. And for the last three games where he's got those four goals, he's been tremendous. Delighted for the guy. Um, because we're seeing, I feel like, I don't think it's unfair to say that we're seeing him as the player that when we signed him, this is the player that we were like, yep, yeah, this is who we're getting. He's a number nine. He probably could fall into the bracket. You might be able to say, yeah, he'll be winning things in the air, which might describe him as a target man. But that's definitely not his game in the sense of like, He's so well-rounded and adjusted. Exceptional. He just absolutely battered them about the place, took the goal so, so well, and they didn't have a clue how to handle him. So, honestly, whatever whatever label gets put on him, I don't care. Just keep, if you just keep doing what you're doing, you're absolutely battering it out the park just now, um, or battering it in the net just now. Um, absolutely destroying it. So just keep doing what you're doing. It's great to watch as a, a fan. So absolutely loving it. So he's full of confidence. So aye, fair play to Jack Hamilton. I think um, the thing for me is, 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 and it's kind of the same as your point there, Blair, where it's like, he's not just a target man. And I think that, that term target man is probably slightly loaded and it brings to mind like Mark Yardley or something like that. Yang Collar. <laughs> yeah, just like a big unit who, John Fredrickson, uh, is there based on his kind of physical attributes. Um, and that's, as you said, it's not Jack Hamilton at all. He's... He's a focal point, but in the best possible way that he then brings everyone else into that game. I mean, I'll give you a really straightforward example. 
swap the two strikers in that game, right? Give us Alex Jukubiak, give them Jack Hamilton. That six-man midfield doesn't work. Yeah, to anywhere brilliant. near the same effectiveness. Yeah, I was going to say it raises exactly the same point. I think he is the exact. He completely epitomises the difference between the two teams. Both set up with a back three. Both set up with a back three that wasn't a regular back three or or like a, 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 an expected back three. But the difference is we noised their back three up from the very first minute. We actually went, I'd say the first 20 minutes or so, there was a, a clear decision to go a wee bit more direct. The ball was coming to, to Millen and particularly at right back. And it's not long balls. He's playing the ball into Hamilton mm-hmm. and then it's gone Vonnie or whatever, go and feed off me, like go, go and see what happens. And our back three was never tested at all in that game because there was nobody to test them. I actually thought, you know, if they'd had a, even like a Todorov, who I don't think is a good player, but somebody who's, somebody that they could aim for, do you know what I mean? But yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on, Duncan. I think that completely changes the game. And it's, yeah, it's, the thing is, Duncan, if you look at his four goals since he came back, everyone's different, you know. The wonderful way he peeled off the defender and, and headered the one at Queen's Park. The two goals that he got at um, at Hamilton, you know, the wee tapping, and then the beautiful uh, shot that he had, and then the one on on Friday night, which was a a great team goal played to East, Easton, and then he's in the middle to to put it away. So every one's been different. That's it. He's just is as close as you're gonna get to like a complete striker at this level and I think that's that's where it's I think if if he feels like he is being labelled as just a target man I think he's got every right to to kind of reject that term because I think yeah. what he's doing is everything a target man would do plus so much more and it's really it's making that whole team tick and I, I've said it a good few times but I think like that's what we've been missing in previous seasons where we've had a decent attacking unit and then we've watched them struggle behind an Ethan Varian or um, a Matty Poplatnik, and, and not to take away from these guys, but they're not. Jack Hamilton. The, the system, yeah, the system relies on someone who can do a lot of that, and that's exactly what Jack Hamilton can do, and it, it makes the whole thing work. Um, so we've got we've got two to go from the uh, the starting lineup, and we're getting into the real fun stuff now. So um, let's go to let's go to Sam Stanton first, uh, the Par Slayer. Which sounds exactly like the kind of thing any one of us would call him. I was delighted to hear it on the BBC Scotland commentary as he rattles in that goal. Um, yeah, the parsley or Sam Stanton. I mean, if you're only gonna score against one side, I'm glad he's picked the one that he has. Um, in uh, in Christina's absence, absence, uh, Scott, you can come in and tell us about Sam Stanton, please. I well, I, I was gonna pick up on that as well about the the parsley and when when Liam McLeod came out with it, I was like, wait, has he just said that? Because that's like, it, as you say, like every fan has said that about Lewis Vaughan for ages, ever since he scored that hatchet. So it was a uh, it was a bit surprising that he's he's obviously seen that for Lewis Vaughan and then he's seen what Stanton's been doing this season. Went if he scores tonight, it's getting used. <laughs> But uh, no, it was, I mean, I thought actually, like, without, like, he was absolutely fine, but I thought he was actually one of the sort of kind of quieter guys in the midfield, but he was also that guy that was kind of playing the more 
defensive role because Sean Byrne wasn't there. And uh, so Stanton was probably more worried about, right, I need to make sure I'm the one that's kind of sat, giving the guys more protection and let these boys go and do what they can do. But I thought, again, he's just taken his goal brilliantly where it's been knocked down and it's just bounced perfectly. He's ran onto it and just the perfect thing about it is he's hit it into the ground, which has kind of meant the keepers then had to try and lift his leg as he's dived, but it's gone over him and into the back and into it. But it was, it just seems to almost glide around the park, Sam Stan. It's almost like, it, it's like a, when I started watching football, somebody that ran about like that was like Bergkamp. He, he just seems to glide around the park and you're going, one minute he was over there, now now he's at the other side, and then and also when he scored his goal, I don't know if folk forgot who scored the goal. Sam Stamp was celebrating himself. Everybody else was in a group. <laughs> I don't know what was going on there, but uh, no. Again, three goals in three games for him. I'm delighted for him. He's not an unsung hero because he's somebody that gets mentioned most week, but he's such a likable guy and a, and and. I was shocked that BBC Scotland managed to get an interview on him because he apparently never speaks to anybody. <laughs> yeah, Ian Murray was saying that after the game. Again, he's just like just a dream to work with. Yeah. Just does yeah. whatever you want him to do. And I think you're absolutely right. I think in that six-man midfield, he was sort of the most and a conservative. You know, he's the one where it's like, right, Sam, you don't need to take any chances because there's five other guys here to do it. And then he just does that perfectly. Just it never gives the ball away. So so good, and then yeah, his, his technique and he's such a technically such a good footballer. That ball drops in the box. There's not many more you'd want running onto that. He's so so good. Um, Blair, you want to give us a, a couple of words on Sam Stanton as well, please? Yeah, I'd agree with everything that, that Scott said there. As I say, I went back and watched the. I really enjoy when we're on the BBC because afterwards you can watch the bits. You know the halftime bits and the bits after the game and the interviews and stuff, um, and to hear folk folk talking about the players that we watch week in week out, and you think you know, do I just have blue tinted spectacles or is this is this real kind of thing? And Ian Murray, I mean, he called him a, a Rolls Royce of a footballer, and I think it's the the best way you can put it. He just and his interview was was like Scott said, they, they got like ten words out of him, I think, in fifteen questions. It was. Um, that there was very little coming from him. He's just such an unassuming kind of guy. Even the celebration, like you say, he celebrates, he goes away, and and then when it starts to get a little bit kind of melee, he's like, nah, you're all right, boys. I'll just um, I'll stand over here and watch you. Um, comes over at the end, and he's applauding the fans, and everybody's kind of getting right into it, and he's like, I've said my bit. I'm away, boys. Good night. Um, I really like that about him. I like the, I like the class that he plays the game with, um, the way that he he. He links the play up, and yeah, we we had uh, Ian Murray said, it and I hate saying this out loud. Why is he playing with us? Why is he in the championship? I don't get it. I really like, don't. You could, you could see that in Ian Murray's face as well as he was saying it. Yeah, he's just like ah, I know he's out of contract, and I really shouldn't be saying this, but we shouldn't have been playing the championship. I mean, really this should. could almost be a big question in the future. But can you ever remember signing a player in January who has gone on to actually? impact on a team as much as him he was a January signing he, you know, he wasn't a player yeah. that we built the team around picked he up another Irish season finishing that's what I was going to say another League of Ireland pick up yeah why was he in Ireland get those scouts over Ireland right now and let's um, let's step on into the the last one from the starting 11 
um, scored a free kick to make him the record goal scorer in that fixture. Uh, nobody's scored more goals for either Dunfermline or Wraith Rovers against the other than uh, Lewis Vaughan. Uh, Robbie, if you could come in, please, and just uh, just talk. God, I fucking love Lewis Vaughan. Just, <laughs> there's no other way to put it. Just, you, everyone, again, I say this every time I speak about him. Everyone knows about his history and you just want him to be doing well. But to see him in games like that, doing stuff like that, and I know that Dennis Mehmet's going to get a lot of the, the question marks over like positioning him for the free kick. But what a hit to get it on target in the first place. Round the wall, outside to the post, swing it in, and then all of a sudden it's on top of Mehmet who can't do anything about it. Like I don't think Vaughn's going to get enough credit for that free kick. But just a, a really good performance from him as well. Again, just buzzing about for the full game, constantly being a nuisance, asking questions of their back line. And um, deserved that goal so much. And it was really just the icing on the cake. And the celebrations after were just incredible. I've never seen celebrations at East End in well over a decade like that, like just behind those goals, um, just to see so many people happy. And he's standing there like Russell Crowe in Gladiator, as he does in Fife Derbies, arms outstretched. Are you not entertained? By God, we are so entertained by that, Lewis. So just continue to scalp those greeting-faced hoors from along the road and we will continue to love you for every single bit of football and goodness that you provide in our lives. Very, very well said. Just just by, by sheer coincidence, I happened to see the the little kind of four-minute piece that the BBC had put together when he came back from injury this time. And um, it's, it's a really nice little piece and it's like the, the radio commentary is overlaid from open all mics as he's coming back on the park. And um the it's it's more looking at it now, the tone of that piece is very much a case of like, oh, he's back playing football again. Like that's the achievement and that's the bit that everybody's pleased about. It's just like, oh, he's getting to play football again. And um I mean Lewis is, is, is a wee bit emotional by the end of that as well, as he's doing the piece and he's just talking about the support that he's had. It's not about just getting him back playing football again. He's such a good football player. He's so, so good. The, I mean, again, you just could not ask for any more for for anyone. Um, it, it just and, and yeah, the technique on the free kick is excellent as well. I mean, you can see that the keeper's got a lot to worry about with the three guys that are standing over that free kick. I mean, he really doesn't know who's going to hit that. Um, I mean, the, the goalkeeper's the, got a lot to worry about anyway. I actually said to the boys next to me, I'm like, we're shooting here. But I thought it was going to be Connolly. I have to be honest, I thought left peg, I thought Connolly's going to whip this in the top corner here. Um, and it is a great strike from Vaughn, but um, Mehmet has to do better. You I know mean, what? Fair enough, it might still go in, but he has to do better. See, in the preview, I said with Craig, uh, said to Craig Cairns, um, it's funny with Mehmet because their fans slaughtered him the season that he got relegated and now he's the best thing since sliced bread. He's no longer the best thing since sliced bread. He got absolutely slaughtered in the comments there. Everyone saying, oh, we signed him on a three-year deal. Lads, you guys were absolutely <laughs> slaughtering us when we signed Dabrowski and you were saying that, oh, we would never take him. We would never take him, uh, Dabrowski, over Mehmet. And look how that one's panned out, lads. Eh? I would go as far as to say Mehmet's at fault for the first and the third. Aye. First goal, I, 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 like, I mean, it's a great bit of play from Easton and, and a great bit of play from Hamilton. What's the goalie doing? Like, yeah. he, was, he was nowhere. Yeah, and they, you've, got, you've, got to, 
you've got to realise he's standing there looking at the awesome beauty of Ellen <laughs> Easton for the first <laughs> one. And the, the Lewis Vaughan, it's not just the way he put it in, it's the power he put it in with. Yeah. But I commented with their other goalkeeper, the boy they've got on loan, I, I thought his goalie let in against Mochrey, I thought he showed he had uh, tissue arms and hands. And I think the boy did that the other night. It was just a thing of beauty. But Lewis Vaughan, I, I texted him and told him the greatest run he did all evening was up the stand to go to the toilet when they were doing the, <laughs> the warm-up. Nobody else seemed to notice it, but the man's a genius. Brilliant. Absolutely. And um, again, just again at risk of, of and I'm hoping no scout is listening to this, but um again we talk about Sam Stanton and you know why is Sam Stanton with us? And actually I don't know why Sam Stanton's playing at this level. Um we know why Lewis Vaughan's playing at this level. If it were not for those injuries, there is no way he would be playing championship football where he throws. It gets banded about a few times. And me and my own flatmate used to say this all the time. He, I genuinely think he would have been a Scotland internationalist. Would have been uh, bad off anyway. Yeah. Like, when you see the likes of Shankland getting games mm. um, in this bit, like, he's a better player than Kevin Nisbet. But like, Kevin Nisbet's done tremendously well to get like three, four, thirty goal seasons. Like, you can't take that away from him. But at the same time, Lewis Vaughan's technical ability, when you look at the way that our sort of physical structure in terms of players that's going, Lewis Vaughan, if he'd had that career injury-free, and again, it's it's really, really sad to say that just on the basis that you want the guy. It's the same with Kieran Bowie when he left us. Everyone says, shame he's leaving, but you want him to kick on and go to the highest level that he possibly can because they're guys that you just completely respect for what they're doing. Um but at the same time, to be able to come back from four ACLs is just ridiculous. And every, every single time. moment, every single moment that he gets of happiness, he deserves it. John McGlynn, John McGlynn said at his brunch recently that if he hadn't had the injuries, he would have been a Scottish internationalist. So I finished by saying to the audience, I, so you've heard it here, if he hadn't been addicted to hospital food, he would have been a Scottish international. <laughs> and he loved it. I'll take your word for it. Um, so just uh, just a quick one then, just to, to kind of round us off on this. Um, two boys came off the bench. Uh, Jamie Gullen came on, so did Scott McGill. Um, again, uh, I, th- I think they both absolutely played their part. Jamie Gullen in particular. Uh, I mean, Scott McGill only got kind of five minutes at the end, but did absolutely what he had to do. Jamie Gullen, I thought he was unlucky, actually. Um, at one point, a really, really good, strong run into the box and just couldn't quite get the ball into the, the right angle to get a shot away. Um, but another one really, really um, did exactly what we needed from him um, at that point. I think Jack Hamilton uh, did go off at that point, just a little bit of cramp, which is unsurprising, given the um, the efforts that he's put in. Um, but I think... Where you mentioned that your your man of the match is going to go Ian Murray, I want to just talk about Ian Murray for a little bit as well, please, because that, I said already, you know, it's not too often at this level that you see a manager really be, you know, sort of out-tacticking his, his opponent, but that's such a big decision to go to that 3-6-1. Nobody sees it coming. I don't know how many other managers in the division make that call. I suspect probably none of them. I think what you probably find is that they drop into more of a kind of defensive position. Yeah, you ask someone like Connolly to play as a wing-back. We saw John McGlynn do it with Dan Armstrong 
uh, yeah. more than once. I just think so much credit has to go to to Ian Murray um, for that and, and for the job that he's done um, so far this season. Um, John, is there anything you want to to add on the the gaffer? No, I just think um, all credit to him, as you boys are saying. You know, to see the vision, to see us in a situation where we've not got Sean Byrne, we we don't have um, any um, red regular centre backs. I, I think all all credit to the club to go out and get Dan O'Reilly. I think that was that was great. Um, but just the vision of having that team setting them up and allowing them to play that way was brilliant. And, uh, you know, it was a tremendous evening for all of us. Can I just say on the goal as well, um, I thought it was wonderful looking down to see Callum Hanna with a big smile when the third goal went in. And I it just went through my head, you know, Callum Hanna would have been there four months ago. The only difference was he was wearing a Rovers uh, tracksuit on the night. You know, it was tremendous to see him. I said, uh, I s- I yeah. said that to Fiona, at least your son, son can't get lifted for being on the pitch. Like <laughs> The only one down there that shouldn't have been lifted for being on the pitch. But no, it's, uh, I just loved seeing stuff like that in general. Um, and I thought it was, uh, again, we're going to come on to this in a little bit um, in terms of the, the sort of fan displays and things like that and what's happened with things like Pyro. But I thought that was a good choice to have a sort of singing section down the front. Um, and a lot of those lads did end up behind the goals on the pitch. Aye, fantastic. You see certain members of uh, certain groups giving middle fingers to Dunfermline players um, goading them and I thought that was absolutely hysterical I thought that was brilliant um, I'm all for it and just a bit of the wind up and uh, everything that goes along with it but yeah uh, again Callum just I've said it so many times before deserves it all and I think it's good to, to sort of see that he's, he's settled in um, and that he's again he's just working away and when you hear about how the club's looking after him it does make you have a sort of degree of pride um, in terms of like the things that they're doing to help cater them and sort of settling in and the way that they're supporting them. Um, and I'm sure that over time, the more game time he gets, I'm going to relax in. And I think there's there's obviously an element where we're all saying, yeah, local lad, Rovers fan, season ticket holder, wants to do well. But at the same time, still very much a footballer there. We all just want him to, when he gets his game time, just do well, just relax, go into it and just be able to, because that's his job now. That's uh, that's the way that it is. And uh, I'm sure he'll kick on when he does get the game time. I was going to say, just finally on, on Ian Murray, um, and I've kind of I've mentioned it already, but his interview after the game when he said, you know, we, we, we realised Dicko wasn't going to be in the squad and, and we've got a kind of day or so to make a change. And I remember this thing Walter Smith had done and all the rest of it. It's all, all great. But for me, it was the moment where he went, they've had too much of the ball when we've played them. We've let them dictate the play. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, how do we go there and how do we stop them doing that? I'm like, this is brilliant. It's like, it's not go there and stop them doing it by defending. It's, do you know what I mean? You you think you've got a, a big gun? Let me show you my big gun. Like, it's it's proper. I'm going to show you what we're going to do and what we're about kind of thing. And I, he cannot get enough credit for Friday night. Because um, it will get forgotten in time, it will, because that's just the nature of football. We'll all remember the Lewis Vaughan goal, and we'll all remember Sam Stanton scalping the pars three times in a season, 
before Christmas and all of that stuff. But um, he, he deserves every bit of credit. Uh, it's realising that Alex Jakubiak's a spug gun and that Jack mm-hmm. Hamilton's a desert eagle. That's the way that we need to look at it. That's it. Ian, just... Ian Murray has absolutely this season, I think, and Friday obviously is just going to be the the easiest one to go to. Has absolutely proved himself as a very good manager this season. Like last year, I, I'm not going to lie. There was at times last year I'm going, I didn't like some of these ideas he's coming out when flinging players on in positions just because oh you play up front, so I'm going to chip you on, but. And we were told this by RJ fans as well that he'll do this. He'll fling five boys up front if you're losing, which, aye, it's fine for five minutes, but when it's 20-odd minutes, how are they going to be able to shape up? But at least they, I mean, part, I don't know how late on, obviously, Leon Dick was announced as he wasn't going to play, but I think it almost actually is probably a good thing that it was only a day before because I think it might have played on the players' minds going and getting too confused with this. I think only having to do it for an hour or two, it meant it was just fresh in their mind and they knew, right, it's a new system, but it's not too different for, well, middle to front anyway, for what we've been doing before. So stuff like that, I think, is not too different. And when it, when it, something that really hit home as well was that any time that I want to ever bring back when it's stuff for the 90s and 80s, I always go to my dad first because he's the guy that's been watching the Rovers for me for... Uh, for years and he came out with something on Friday and it kind of hit home uh, he's like I've not seen a team like this since the team that Jimmy Nick took us up with mm-hmm. and now I was just like well it's quite a big statement to come out with now but at the same time you're going well I can't think of another team that's been doing this and how consistent they've been so um, the team spirit this season has been great to see and I just hope that it just keeps going it does worry me a wee bit with, with Ian Murray when 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 he first came in. Um, so I, I go back and I think about um, managers that we've had in the past. And you know, when you take a manager from a kind of a job at a lower club or whatever, and they come to you, there's always that feeling. Ray McKinnon, there's always that feeling. That this is maybe a stepping stone for them to go on, and I'm okay with that. I'm I'm absolutely fine for us to get the best out of people. John McGlynn was another one. You know, there's a, there's a move for him. I was quite comfortable thinking Ian Murray's had his kind of crack at the Premier League. He had to go with St Martin, and I know that they were a mess, but he's had his go, and there'll be a few clubs thinking, nah, he's, he's had his go. But I feel like this is like almost Murray 2.0, like he's he's grown and he's evolved into a completely different yeah. coach. It does begin to worry me a little bit that, there's, I mean, if, if Hibs lose their manager, they've got to be thinking that there's a there's an option there. Do you know what I mean? Um, he's just, he's, he's really, like Scott says, I think he's really evolved from last season. I think what you can really see is you can see the points that Ian Murray is adding to the board. Totally. And a lot of the time with the managers, it's like, well, he's in charge of the recruitment, so he gets the credit for all this. But you can see the point that on top of the players that he's brought in, the decisions he's making in games and like this one immediately prior to games where he is adding value and he's literally adding points to the board and decisions that he's making. And he deserves so much credit for um for Friday night and, and for everything that's um that's happened this season. Um, he stood in front of the stood in front of the Rovers fans with his fingers in his ears. That's so him. good, man. He just like he's he's really he's one of these guys who's really, really calm and really composed and doesn't get involved in any of the nonsense until he does like he's just yeah. got that wee five percent where he can't quite yeah, help himself and he's like out, yes, 
put on the Twitter earlier on um, about the uh, just saying that he's, he's very likable just as a human being, just in that he's got that sort of sense of like, I find with like workplaces and things like that, that like people have naturally got their work persona, which is absolutely fine, totally get that. But then you come across people from time to time that are just like, you just get their persona full non-stop and it doesn't matter where they are and i know a few people at my work that are like that but like to it's basically it's a it's pulled from one of the threads off pie and bovril and it says from reading that match fred it seems like there was some jikatongo stroke rafe beef today i know there was a thing where ian murray called him a diver last season too but i thought you'd enjoy this excerpt from the rico katongo tribunal last season quote on 29th December 2021, during an Airdrie and Queen's Park game, there was a verbal altercation between Mr Murray and the claimant's brother. Airdrie won the game, but the game had been ill-tempered. Mr Murray shouted into the Queen's Park dressing room as he walked past it, go tweet that to, uh, no, go tweet that, you little fanny. This was directed at the claimant's brother. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, absolutely brilliant, all for it, just get some tail. That again, it's just that little 5%, that wee bit of mischief that's in them. Um, and uh, for one, I absolutely love it. Um, right, in the interest of time, I'm going to move us along a little bit because I think we're already on course for this to be the uh, the longest episode we've put out. But to be fair, well-deserved after yeah, that performance like- on Friday night. Um, but amidst the the kind of the fun and the the glory, um, there were just a couple of of kind of unsavoury uh, kind of moments in the evening, and it would be it would be kind of remiss of us to to pass them by. So, uh, obviously, you know, I mean, listeners will be familiar with um, Christina Beatty from this podcast, and she was hit by a, a flare or a firework that was thrown in the stand during the game on Friday. Now, obviously, the most important thing. Christina's absolutely fine. She wasn't hurt, but you might have seen um, she posted a photo on Twitter of uh, the hole that was burned through her jacket. Now, I'm going to let the guys come in, in on this because I'm I'm kind of at risk of getting on my, my soapbox about it and I'm going to try not to. But it's one of these things that I think the the game as a whole in Scotland really needs to step up to address um, because what we're seeing is things that are unsafe. And now, obviously, there is a personal responsibility that goes along, right? So if you're throwing a firework in a crowded area, regardless of circumstance, you are a fucking idiot, right? And there's no getting away from that. But at a higher level, there needs to be a systemic approach to addressing this, right? So right now, these um, pyrotechnics are banned, but we're seeing them every week. Uh, Not just at Rovers games, up and down the country. Um, you could push for kind of stricter enforcement, but I'm not convinced it's going to work. Um, I know up at Peterhead yesterday, they had sniffer dogs when the Air United fans were going to stand. Didn't make a difference. Still had fireworks in that ground. So I think there needs to be a full reappraisal um, from the powers that be, whether that's the police, the SFA, the SPFL, um, to try and take some sort of action in whatever direction they, they feel is best. But I think the, the kind of the status quo can't continue. But um Robbie, I'm gonna to come to you first of all, just for your, your kind of thoughts on what's what's a fairly complicated issue, to be fair. Because I think we've yeah. all we've all got parts of it that we quite enjoy. Um a lot of content that, you know, the football club and um and the supporters have kind of taken out of the the um addition to the atmosphere. But um, yeah, sorry, how how do you feel about the, the whole issue? 
Yeah, right. Let's let's be fucking sensible about this, uh, troops. It's effectively I've been on record saying Pyro's class. I still maintain Pyro is class, right? It's I'm a meathead, effectively, much like Mister Ian, uh, Mister Ewan Murray, um, and I think that it does add to the spectacle. I can't explain and justify how it adds to the spectacle, but I think when you see a full stand or you see Big Kev swaggering out of a plume of smoke, looking ice cold. You can't have. You've got to have both sides of it, right? You've you've got to accept um, that there is that side of it. But then, by the same token, if you are chucking flares into crowded areas, as Duncan says, stop being a fucking cunt. There is no other way to put it. Like, what the fuck are you thinking? Just don't do it, right? If you've got a pyro, you accept responsibility for it. I'm all for people bringing stuff into the ground. To be honest so long as you're not a fucking dickhead with it. Drop it at your feet, and just, if you can put it, then how are they going to find out? How are they going to find out? There is no need to be lobbing flares into crowded areas where you'll hit someone like Christina. I've seen a guy um, go right up the back of the stand on Friday night. He was baying for blood, absolutely going for it. And then, as ever, they turn around with a sheepish look on their face, oh, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Well, you must fucking know. One of you fucking knows. So, like, again, I'm not looking to pick fights with anyone. I'm all for people to have a good time at the football. Um, it's very much a case that, like, I feel like it does add to the atmosphere um, in, a, in a roundabout way. But at the same time, if you're hitting people with it and it's burning into people's clothes, aye, that's just, that's when you get into daft as fuck behaviour that needs called out. And, People will call you, and you will get people that, for me, if a flare flies over and comes near me, I'd probably be raging. If it burns my clothes, um, I would be very fucking raging. But, again, you're going to get different responses. And one of these times, a response is going to be someone will go up the back of the stand and start fucking levering people. So just don't be daft with it, right? If you're going to do it, then just, as I say, drop it at your feet or just figure out how you're going to use it. Or, again, go down the front of the stand flares down the front of the stand. I get that you have people I don't know why someone threw one at Big Kev. Don't fucking throw it at people but if you can get it in the front between the advertising hordes away from the stewards I get that you've had a drink in you I get that it's something that you probably get quite defensive about when someone raises this topic but at the same time, yeah, there is absolutely zero need to be making stupid decisions like that even if you've had a drink in it. It's not justifiable and just it's well worth bringing up and discussing. This is, see, this is the thing for me is I think you need to try as much as possible to take it away from the kind of the, the hands of the individual almost. And this yeah. is the problem with when it's an outright ban, you've really got two options. You've either got to be able to enforce that ban entirely, which is incredibly difficult because they're really cheap, they're really easy to get, and the numbers are always in the favor of the supporters. Yeah. Unless you're searching every single person effectively, which you're not going to be able to do, you're going to have individuals. I think for me, personally, I think that's why you have to go the other way. You've got to look at a Scandinavian or an Irish approach where totally it's permitted, but it's permitted within uh, designated areas for designated individuals. And then you have things like, rather than having to drop it at your feet or rather than having to hide at the back of the stand to try and throw it away so nobody knows it's you you get the guys who can just walk to the front of the stand and pop it in a bucket because there's yeah. no sort of, you know, stigma attached to it or anything. But I'm not I'm not an expert with I'm not thought it through in, in kind of great detail, but that's my my kind of initial thoughts. Um 
anyway, and actually, I'm, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to kind of get my soapbox <laughs> about it. Um, I was going to say, do you I have feel, any, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I feel really similar uh, to what you're saying, Duncan. Like it's and and Robbie, like I like it. Um, the first time I remember it happening with the Rovers was actually the other three 0 scalping of the Pars in the Scottish Cup. Um, and some idiot launched it on the park and burnt a hole in the pitch. Um, there was also in that game one launch from the back of the stand that hit another fan and burnt a hole in his shoe um, that night. Um, so it's not the first time that this has happened and it's not been addressed since. Um, I, I think I agree with the the, the sentiment that it's, um, you know, if you can control it, it's better. There's a wee bit of me that worries that that won't make a difference for for some of the individuals that are that are doing it. It's It's like a a badge of honour almost, like I managed to get it into the ground. There's this kind of um, feeling which is quite sad, but I, I think the um, the difficulty for the, the authorities is when you've got people doing what they're doing at the moment and launching it from the back of the stand and burning a hole in another fan's jacket, that could have easily hit a kid, it could have burnt somebody really badly. Like the, the, They've been lucky that they haven't actually really hurt somebody. It makes the regulation so much harder. How do you regulate, how do you effectively promote something that is actively dangerous and hurting people and that you know that other fans are going to try and emulate kind of thing. Um, it puts, the, the, my worry with the liability thing is it puts a little bit of pressure on the club because um, if they do it in a safe way and somebody does something wrong, who's liable for that? Is the club liable for it or is the individual liable for it? Um, so there's, there's worry there. I mean, you don't have to go back 50, 100 years to see stands going up in flames. Do you know what I mean? It's happened before. And and the problem we've got is it's going to happen again. Um, and somebody's going to end up getting badly hurt. Um, and it's a real shame because the photographs and the videos of players walking out of plumes of smoke, they are, they're amazing. They are absolutely brilliant. We couldn't actually, this is maybe a little bit of a shift as well. I was told categorically, nothing goes on social media that has the smoke in it. We are not glorifying this. We are not celebrating it because if we do it, it'll happen week in, week out. And there's a wee bit of me that worries that some of the photos that have gone out this week from the club, and I'm, I'm genuinely not trying to be critical, but it does almost, it's like a wee badge of honour for them. I threw that flare. That was my flare that Kev walked out the plume of smoke in. Do you know what I mean? Um, and it, I saw, um, sorry, interrupt, I saw Motherwell getting chinned for exactly that because they, they put out a statement a couple of weeks ago to say, I think after they were at St. Johnston, and they put out a statement to say, look, these flares are unacceptable. And all the replies to the social media posts were just photos of Motherwell's own content. That's all exactly that. I think that the, the thing for me is, fundamentally, the situation we're in now is unsafe. Yeah. What we're seeing now is that we're already in it, essentially. So something has to be done. And as you whether that's going stricter or trying to sort of, you know, quote unquote, embrace it, I don't really suppose, I don't I mean, I certainly don't have a solution. I don't know what's going to work better. And my core suspicion is that getting stricter, you're not really going to stop it. So you might as well try something more radical. Yeah. But fundamentally, my, my main belief is that the status quo can't continue because this and is see, where we're seeing problems. See, right, for me right as well, now. we're all adults. We're all adults. Like if you're bringing it into the ground, say you're like 14, 15, you're bringing it into the ground, right? I get that you're not legal age, but you're old enough to be making a compass mentis decision about what you're doing. And they're all, again, but at 13, well, 14, 15, you should still be able to make a decision and sort of say, actually, there is that element to it. What I would also say as well, um, and not meaning to demonize or, or 
uh, stigmatise anyone in their responses as well. I think we do need to accept that they are Rovers fans because there was a lot of people 100%. that were coming on saying, ah, oh, they're not really Rovers fans. And I feel like that's just like, I get, I, I respect the opinions and I get why you can say that. But at the same time, it just, for me, it just, it's a bit of a cop out. They are Rovers fans. We've got to be the ones that take responsibility and we've got to be the ones that engages and sort of talks about it. And yeah, it's a very difficult one because we all want an atmosphere at games, but at the same time, when it comes to people getting put in physical danger, that's that's where you've got to be like, right, okay, an atmosphere's great, it's fantastic, and we fully support you in terms of that side of it. But if someone's getting a hole burnt in their clothes because you've decided to lob a flare down a stand because you didn't want to get caught and you've had five cans of Dragon Soup or whatever, then come on, lads. It's, yeah, you want the atmosphere. It's not that hard. Not at the cost of uh, of personal safety. Um, yeah. John, Scott, uh, either of you want to, to add anything to this? No, I, I'm, I'm just, my feelings are the same with you guys. I can understand as well, loving the, I don't know what the sparkly thing was at, at Kevin, you know, that was just ludicrous. Um, didn't understand that at all. Uh, I mean, uh... I totally agree with everything that's been said. I mean, there's not much else to cover. It. One of the guys that I was watching the game over here with in, in my flat, he's a Feyenoord season tick holder, and Feyenoord's renowned for their TFOs and all their pyro that goes on, that's fireworks outside the ground and everything. They make it a proper entrance and a show. Like it's They're trying to intimidate the away team every time. And... I must say, because it's done properly and they, I mean, their ultras are mental, like they just are, but they, they're kind of in their own area, kind of what we're trying to say about whole Scandinavia thing. Dutch football has its problems a lot of the time, but one thing I must say that they do a lot is try to keep these ultras in one area so that if you're in amongst it, you know you're in amongst it. If you're yeah. not, you, you don't want to be in amongst that's fine. It's cool to watch it and cool to see, but I'm also the same, like, I, I didn't want to be doing, near, wherever I'm sat in the stand going, oh, there's a flare that's getting flung right above my head or whatever. These guys need to be, if they're going to be doing this, at the, I actually thought it was, until obviously I seen Christina's tweet uh, and what she'd put in the group chat at half time, I actually thought it was going to be all right because they were down the front. And I thought, oh, well, they're just chucking it either. Well, that's the thing. It was, or... the, honestly, I thought the lads down the front, I thought, class. Like, I don't know if they had anything to do with the one that went to Big Kev, which at that point you sort of say, yeah, obviously not class. Lads down the front, brilliant. But there was also a group up the back. And that's where I think the one that hit Christina is, as far as I'm aware. I might be wrong about that. But yeah, um, again, whatever you're just doing. I mean, it's a pretty simple rule in life and we can all live by it. Don't be a dickhead. Like, it's not hard. It's like, you just, I, I don't understand the logic and chucking it, but again, it's, I'm sure they'll they'll try and explain it or dismiss it and say, oh, you are just being fucking miserable bastard. No, we're not. We're just being fucking human beings. It's just the only way. And it's, listen, it's on these sides. It's, it's not going anywhere. And I think that's, that's the kind of like the, the core of my thoughts on it it's just not going to you've got to do you've got to do something about it um i suspect we will hear from the club on this in, in due course i don't imagine um it'll go kind of unremarked on what that looks like and what that what kind of form that takes i don't know i suspect we'll see but um i think it was it was something that was 
definitely worth kind of bringing into the discussion um, after Friday night. But let's um, let's just move into the uh, the kind of final section um, for today. Let's let's get back into our big questions. And out of the hat today, I'm taking inspiration from uh, from a couple of sources. So first of all, we had our uh, our young friend Matty Todd sticking his fingers in his ears after a penalty shootout win in the League Cup group stage that they did not sure. qualify from. Um, <laughs> Um, and then had to uh, had to watch as the Rovers put them to the sword three times in a row without them even scoring a goal. But um, also <laughs> the SFA, so the, the Scottish Cup draw is later on today as we record, and they've uh, very nicely arranged for two former Dundee United players to host the Cup draw. Uh, the day after, Dundee United were papped out the Cup by Queen of the South. So what I would like to know, please, gents, is uh, a time when either you or someone else has uh, completely made an arse of it by tempting fate. And I'm going to start with uh, Scott. I'm going to come to you first, please. Hi, uh, well, obviously when we were discussing this earlier, uh, the first thing that came to my mind, and it's always reminded because one of my best mates over here in Holland is an Air United fan, and he reminds me out of it, if it's no weekly, it's every second week, of how... Uh, we had this whole roaring back stuff in League One and it comes back to that final game of the season where Air have looked like they've absolutely flung it away with what were they seven points clear with four games to go and they end up they they I think they drew three games in a row or something and we would won all our games basically and it just meant that we all we needed to do was just better the result. Uh, and we couldn't even do that in the final day. But that whole last week of that season, the Rovers' social media was all just tweeting everything that Air had put up saying that we were winning the league. Fans were then tweeting about saying, oh, I'm going to start for a... <laughs> going for a title party. There was about 6,000 fans there that day. I know Lewis Vaughn's even brought... I remember him being on a podcast, uh, I think it was last year, talking about that day, saying, like... He had brought like twenty of his mates to the game because they were gonna. He's like, look, it's the Player of the Year like awards at night. It's gonna be mental. We'll we'll be celebrating winning the league and everything. I'm like, there's too much talk going on here. <laughs> and then I ninetieth minute, obviously, we didn't get Lewis Vaughan hits the post, and he goes on to say, see if it was even like raining that day, it probably goes in. <laughs> it was but, also just, the only game that season we didn't score at home. Aye, it was just typical and I would kind of big it up and it was just a big let down in the end and dusting off the whole roaring back sign bringing it out and everything it was just I yeah. mean it was it was entertaining but at the same time it just came back to bite us massively yeah it's uh it's it's, it's well, we can laugh about it now <laughs> just, just about um John how about you I've got too many of these to talk about you know i'm i'm the old boy on here i've 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 seen it so many times that you know my one was the same one about the going into the last game against aloha thinking oh we'll just have to squish it the the crowds that day if you remember they they had to walk them along the track to get them to their wave stand to let them in because there was nobody in their way stand and Ah, there's too many of these things, you know. So 
I've buried them, I think, in my head somewhere. Didn't want to trudge them up. I also remember I'm I'm the most superstitious man in the world, you know. I've got lucky underpants, I've got everything going on, you know. I remember once I went for a curry the night. The 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 season we won the league to get into the Premier League for the first time. I had a curry and I had diarrhea the following morning on the day or the game day. So I thought Where's this going? Where's this going, John? I, I thought I had to have diarrhea every Saturday for us to win, you know. So twice. We've gone to the Sorry. <laughs> so you should be. Oh, chicken sushi. Um right, Robbie, you next, please. Uh, yeah, fortunately my uh my bills have remained sound during this process. Um I'm actually gonna I, I initially was thinking of the one with Air United where they got a bit too big for their boots with ten games to go after beating us at Starks Park and then went on um and we sort of matched each other all the way through the rest of that season, barring when they dropped points to, uh, we were away to Sterling, and I think they were somewhere like breaking um, and dropped points there. But the one that actually just came to my head, um, which I was thinking of, was uh, a certain Mr. Willie Gray, um, who, having spell at Rafe Rovers, then went along the coast to Methil, where he says, OK, I'll be able to invest money into your club. Now, they handsomely won promotion from the old third division at, um, was it First Park, um, East Stirling, um, where Willie Gray was walking about with bottles of champagne, um, doing interviews for the early days of YouTube, proudly proclaiming that it will be the happiest day of his life to be able to go to Starks Park and give us a doing. The next season, they best they get is a draw on the back of an own goal in the first game at Starks. And then every game after, we go to Mefo and we gave them a doing, courtesy of that Robert Sloan free kick. We then had the New Year derby where Mark Ferry scored a header with about 10 minutes to go and Willie Gray got pelters all afternoon. Um, and then there was a final game where Graham Weir scored a lovely volley um, to, to be able to wrap up um, an unbeaten season against East Fife, as we've so often done uh, over the last sort of 35 years or so. Um, but yeah, that was just a very fun season. That East Fife derby, for me, it's never been a... It's been, it is a derby, but you never took it as seriously as the Dunfermline one. The only main thing for interest for me was the fact that we had that unbeaten run gone, and as soon as that went, just it got relegated down to like a cow and beef derby level. But Willie Gray, what a pantomime villain. Cheers, Willie. That was uh, It added so much to those fixtures in the sense that you just loved beating them. And that's what football is all about, just having those sort of like pantomime villains. And that's why the Matty Todd one in particular is so funny, because not only did they not get out the group stage, nobody mentioned them at Starks. Everyone just like, all right, what's this guy on about? And then the next thing you know, we go to East End Park, and then you see Ross Milne giving it back, and you think, oh, that's pretty funny. And then you see Dylan Easton giving it to their fans at Starks um, at points. And then, yeah, yesterday again, it happens again. Um, and just very funny to see, because Guy was completely anonymous um, at Starks up until that point, and then it just kind of put a target on their back. 
and he's made a complete fanny of himself and it's completely backfired. So, yeah, long may it continue. Definitely. And uh, Blair, you see us home, please, with, I assume, three or four stories. I've got uh, two. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, restraining yourself. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I'm in a restaurant and I don't know what I'm ordering and it's just whatever <laughs> right when you come and ask me the question. Um, no, I have, I have two. So one, um, in light of, of Friday night, was a, um, a Fife Derby um, at East End Park and um, a certain David McGurn makes that save and they're all celebrating. That whole stands on their feet, they're screaming and shouting. Ball gets pushed wide to Darren Smith, bursts up the left-hand side, crosses it into Casa, and Casa scores, and we're going mental. They're still remonstrating and celebrating, and we're going crazy. It was just, I, I've always loved in football that, you know that thing of you, you're taking a penalty and the keeper saves it, and they all celebrate, and then it gets the rebound, goes in, and then you get this, there's a lovely kind of get it up you kind of feel into it. So that one for definite. And the only other one I'm going to mention was a, um, a certain establishment in Kirkcaldy who once offered um, Rangers a title-winning party um, on the back of them beating us at Starks. So they had to win uh, to win the title. Um, and a certain um, establishment in Kirkcaldy advertised so, over Kirkcaldy a title-winning uh... party. I'm just going to correct this because I've got I've got a bad track record of uh, making false statements on this podcast, as John Greer will so frequently tell me. Um, the the pub in question actually had no idea uh, that that was meant to be happening. Rangers fans just clocked it. A Rangers supporters club just says, "Yeah, we're going to this pub in Kirkcaldy," and then the certain pub says, "We don't have a fucking clue about this. Like, we've not been told anything about this. We've not got anything booked in. We've got just lunches organised." So. I'm not, I'm not entirely better. sure that's the case. There was a poster. Uh, I don't know. There was a poster, title-winning party. Yeah, aye, but that's again. It's I, I so, think it was Rangers fans that were doing it. Fair enough. Whether it's the Rangers fans or whether it's the the someone made a fan of themselves. That's the point. And uh, yeah, the ninety odd minute equaliser from Paniot with the um, as we always coined it, the goal that put Champagne back on ice. Mm. Beautiful. It certainly was. And uh, I think that will round us off. For Have today, you got one, um, no, I don't actually. <laughs> um, and we've been going for a long, long time, so I'm going to close us off. Um, ah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, that was a thoroughly enjoyable Friday night. I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, going over it again with you gentlemen uh, this afternoon. We will be back later on in the week to look forward to next Saturday's game uh, away at Inverness. So um, we look forward to seeing you again then. And uh, as I say, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Blair, Blair not got a message for the Dumfermline fans? Fuck the pars. Fuck the pars. <laughs>